The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. Chapter 38 begins with a level up for our party's rogue. Eridine has reached level 4. Next. Girios and Harl conclude some mundane business before meeting the women at the Dead Troll Tavern. Here, they're introduced to Imawan Essek, the ambassador from faraway Koth. The group enjoys some talk, a meal, a song, and a few drinks before the ambassador makes her exit. Before leaving, she has a private conference with Umura, and when Umura comes back to the table, she seems conflicted. The ambassador is a sorceress and has offered her an apprenticeship. But there's a catch. If Umura accepts, she'll be leaving Merith in just four days, and she will be leaving for good. She is expected to accept or decline the offer later that night. On this bittersweet note, the party toasts to all of their new beginnings, and the chapter ends. But it will come to you as no surprise that happy endings are as rare as dragon eggs in Tale of the Manticore, and the story comes clamoring back with a strange and upsetting scene A halfling barges into the tavern and jumps atop a table, all the while making an unholy racket. When he has the room's attention, he announces that he is searching for a master stonecarver, and that he has urgent news. Chapter 39, Part 2 Day 48, Evening Party Status Harl, 21 of 21 hit points. Eridine, 14 of 14. Kyrios, 27 of 27. Umura, 18 of 18. Spells available. Umura has memorized Light, Shield, Levitate, and Knock. Kyrios has prayed for Cure Light Wounds, Purify Food and Water, and Hold Person. Norim Smallborough was three feet and not one single inch less of attitude. A halfling, he had the typical features of his race. Small hands, large feet, and keen eyes. Norim wore an oddly smooth black suit of light armor, a pair of scabbarded bone-handled daggers, and an expression of being perpetually put upon. Norim was forever in a hurry to get back to doing what he loved best to do. Nothing. Anytime he was forced to do something, he didn't like it 
and made an effort to return to the opposite state. When Harl identified himself and stepped outside the dead troll tavern, leaving the others behind to settle their bill, Norm explained that he had not had a moment's peace all day because he had been looking all over Thangar for him. In fact, I've been traveling for the last three days just to meet you, so listen up and listen well. My name is Norm Smallborough. You may have heard of me. No? Oh, well, I live to the northwest of here in Knobs Creek. You have surely heard of Knobs Creek. Harl shook his head no. To be fair, Knobs Creek was omitted from most of the few maps that existed for this part of Merith on account of its lack of size or importance by any metric. Norm sighed and continued. Well, you're not from these parts, are you? So that figures. Harl scowled. I thank you for your troubles, and I'm sorry for causing you inconvenience. What do you know of me, and what is your message, Master Halfling? Half. We'll deal with that business later. I'm here because a dwarf stumbled into my backyard four days ago. Came right out of the mountains, he did. All gray, skin and bones. Wild-eyed. Barely spoke a word of sense. Collapsed on my doorstep, practically. Harl was intrigued, but didn't yet see how this story should concern him. You came seeking me. How did that come to pass, sir? He asked. Well, we tried to ask this poor wretch who he was and where he was from, but he just spoke nonsense. Shadows and curses and dragons, utter gibberish. Later, after we put him to bed, he vomited all over my sheets, by the way, and my carpet. Pretty much all over everything. He seemed to clear up a little, and he said the first things that made any sense. He said, go to Thangar and find Harl Stonecarver, several times, among other things. You see, he was very, very sick. Poisoned, it turned out. A local healer came by, and he thinks the dwarf ate some deadly dapperling. They look enough like the edible varieties that it is not hard to confuse them, or maybe he recognized them but just ate them anyway because he was starving. Going hungry can make you do crazy things, you know. He said, My name. You are sure? asked Harl. His mind was racing. He did so, indeed, Master Stonecarver. He told us his name, too. Harl stared at the halfling, annoyed that this important piece of information had been left out so far. Well? He said his name was, uh, oh, Drat. I knew I'd forget it. Oh, oh yes. It was Valiador Glimmerax. Shortly after Harl receives this shocking revelation, the rest of the party members emerge from the tavern, curious about the halfling and rather pleasantly surprised to have discovered that the ambassador had paid for their entire meal and drinks all in advance. When they see Harl, they can tell by the expression in his eyes that something momentous has occurred. They quickly get the story. Valiador Glimmerax, poisoned and very sick, wandered onto this halfling's property where he collapsed. Norum explained that his people were great healers and were doing all they could, but that deadly dapperling, as they suspected was the cause, was a potent poison. It had already fully tainted the dwarf's bloodstream and it was unlikely he could be saved. Norm explains that if they want to see the dwarf alive, they need to leave as soon as possible. He tells them to get their things and meet him in 10 minutes. They have much distance to cover and it is best they do so while it's still light out. With or without them, he'll be returning to Knobs Creek after a drink and a piss. What follows is a bit of a scramble. The PCs leave the halfling at the tavern while they retrieve their belongings. Gyrios tries to negotiate a refund of their money, but the innkeeper flatly refuses, saying it's too late in the day by this time to rent out the rooms. Umora grabs her bags along with the others without really knowing what she plans to do. The four of them participate in a moment of shared awkwardness. Finally, the discomfort is broken by Harl, who says, Good luck, Umora. 
and thank you. Umura nods dumbly at first, but after Gyrios and Eridine have embraced her and whispered their goodbyes, she composes herself and offers to let the chief know of their departure. The priest and rogue then follow the dwarf, who is already hurrying back to the dead troll. As they arrive, Norim spots them over the rim of his cup and then drains its contents in a single gulp. The halfling then drops from his seat, too tall for him despite being sized for a dwarf, and comes to meet them, covering a belch with the back of his hand as he crosses the room. Together, the four of them take the main road, which winds all the way down the mountainside in a zigzag, before pointing more or less to the north. The sun is beginning to set, but instead of his holy symbol, Gyrios holds a small vial in his hand. It is the Mithridaticum elixir that Umura took from the convent. Earlier, when they said their brief goodbyes, she insisted that he take it. The poison that affects Valiador is, as Norm believes, extremely deadly. However, it is not particularly fast-acting. I've decided that this particular poison takes about a week to ten days to kill its victim. Valiador has already failed his saving throw, and this is not something I rolled but simply decided would happen. So now, it's only a matter of time before the poison claims his life. Of course, if the PCs can reach him before that happens, they might be able to save him with the elixir. I'm going to roll a d6. The number showing will be the number of days that Valiador has left to live, starting on the next day, day 49. Here's the roll. If you'd like to know the number I just rolled, keep listening until the very end of this podcast and I will lift the screen, so to speak. If you prefer to remain in the dark along with the PCs, simply turn off the podcast before the spoiler is revealed. Don't worry about hearing it by accident. I'll give you plenty of warning. Just to complicate things a little more, Norm explains that there are two routes back to Knobs Creek. The first one is relatively safe and takes four days, but there is a shortcut. Norm used it on the way to Thangar, in fact, that shortens the trip by an entire day. Of course, there is a catch here too. The shorter three-day trip requires the traveler to pass through Sourtongue's bog, and Sourtongue does not treat trespassers gently. Surely we should take the faster route. I mean, how dangerous can it be? You said you passed through on the way here, and you were traveling alone, protested Gyrios. The quartet had decided to make camp along the roadside, a few hours out from Thangar. They were not alone. This spot was where Thangar's shrine to Gruenmog was located. Unlike the shrine attached to Dwarvar, this one was set in the mountainside, right along the main road, and was anything but isolated. Pilgrims, clerics, Solemns could all be found here, living within the shrine, temporarily or permanently. Merchants, couriers, and travelers also congregated here. There were even little stalls selling simple traveling provisions, firewood, and religious trinkets, all at a premium, of course. To accommodate the dozen or so people who congregated outside the shrine at any given time, a permanent fire pit had been built, along with benches and even stone pallets for dwarves to use. There were benefits to both comfort and safety at this spot, and so it was always in use. Curious leaned sideways. The smoke from the fire pit had started to blow in his direction. It's easy to stay undetected when I'm traveling alone. It's much more difficult when traveling with others. Norum explained. You mean with others in general or with non-halflings? Curious wanted to know. Norum frowned. Look, if we're going to keep each other's company for a few days, we need to get something straight. The word you want is heflin, not halfling. Gyrios furrowed his brow. He tried out the new word. 
Heflin. Is that the Heflin? Is that how your people call themselves? Heflin is not a Heflin word. It's the word. Learn it. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend, said Gyrios, showing his palms. I suppose that Heflin is a corruption of the common tongue word then. Isn't that interesting? The way language changes by region and over time can be so fascinating, don't you think? Norim leveled a look of iron at him, the fire reflected in his unblinking brown eyes. Or perhaps it is the other way around. You're smarter than you look, said Norim, finally, bouncing his eyebrows but keeping his gaze locked on the cleric. Men and dwarves heard the word Heflin and mistakenly thought we called ourselves halflings, as if any race would do such a thing to themselves. Stupid. To answer your original question, Gyrios, said Harl, Heflins can move about in the wilderness more or less silently and invisibly, especially when they're alone. The dwarf was not interested in the other line of conversation. Gyrios was happy for a chance to escape it. He got up and stretched, looked wistfully back up the road. I hope Umura will be happy with her decision. He looked up at the night sky and sighed. I hope you don't feel obliged to come along with me, Gyrios. Same with you, Eredin. By the stones, you have both done more than a dwarf could ask. Oh no, Harl, you are our friend, our very good friend, and we would not dream of abandoning you at a time like this. Eredin nodded her agreement from where she sat across from them. Her auburn hair seemed orange in the light of the fire. It's only that we barely even had a chance to say good- Gyrios trailed off. He stared up the road, back the way they had come. Is that? Some distance away, a little light could be seen, just a speck, flitting like a firefly through the night air. Eridine saw it too, then Harl. They both stood and moved alongside Gyrios. Was it possible? The sound of running came to them as the light drew nearer and nearer. Then they heard her voice. Zumura. Hey gang, do you like role-playing games? Is D&D more than just an acronym for you? How about storytelling, card games, books, and other, air quotes, nerdy stuff? Then my friends, we have a show for you. Hi, my name is Eric. And I'm Matt. And we host a show called The Goblin's Corner. At TTRPG, RPG, D&D, DM, slash GM, podcast dedicated to you, our VIP. A podcast for the role player with the discerning palette. Learn how to run a game. Or even what D&D or an RPG is. Whether you're a beginner. Or you've been playing this longer than we have. You can learn about storytelling, character development. Running a campaign or a short game session. Or just some useless stuff. We certainly excel at that. Come check us out at goblinscorner.com. Or you can find us everywhere you listen to podcasts. The Goblin's Corner. That's how we roll. 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 between the lines. I suppose I shouldn't be surprised, but I kind of am. My party is about to walk off the edge of yet another map. It feels like I was just saying those same words, but it turns out that the last time I introduced a new panel to my Marath world map was back in episode 27, so I guess it has been a while. Episode 27 was released on February 1st of 2021, so that's about, what, 
four months ago. I spent an hour making a new map today, and I'll post it on taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. Even incomplete, it's still a useful tool, I think. I decided that it was time to combine all maps into one. Lo and behold, Merith is really taking shape. Hard to believe I started this story with just a forest, a lake, a road, and a town. Here's a brief description of the lay of the land and the options open to the PCs. The Kazmirioth, or River of Iron, mountain range runs east-west across Merith. I'm not sure if it will go coast to coast yet, that's still to be determined. The party has just left Thangar, which is roughly 200 miles east of Dwervar, as the crow flies. If they were to go another 200 miles to the east and north, they would reach Umura's homeland of Zesha. Easier to reach and located within just a few days' walk from Thangar are Knobs Creek on the other side of Sourtongue's Bog to the northwest, and the little kingdom of Sachoros, which is really just an autonomous city-state. Sachoros is actually quite near Thangar and can be reached in just two days' walk, following the road due north. At the moment, the PCs need to make a decision. They're headed for Knobs Creek and hope to get there in time to save Valiador. They are racing the clock, and so using Norum's shortcut would seem to be the clear choice. However, the party does not yet have all the information they need to make a decision. Dramatis Personae, Norum Smallborough. Like many halflings, or as they prefer to be called, Heflins, Norum Smallborough desires little more in life than to be surrounded by the comforts of home. Certain situations in his young adulthood drove him into a life of danger, and for the past eight of his 63 years of life, Norm has been an adventurer, at least until recently, that is. Although he's not even yet middle-aged, Heflins live for about 150 years, Norm now fancies himself retired. He has seen much, much more of the world and of wickedness than most Heflins could imagine even exists. He has faced real horror. He has gained both experience and wealth, and it is his judgment that he has earned the right to put up his feet and enjoy the simple things in life. Typically, Heflins are optimistic, cheerful, exceptionally good-natured folk. Norm was once all of these things, but his eyes have seen too much. Not exactly foul-tempered, Norm has become a little insensitive, impatient, and even aggressive at times. He has made a hobby out of whinging, and will complain about his lot to anyone who will listen. Norm is about average height for a Heflin, and weighs about 55 pounds, a little on the lean side. He started his retirement only recently, and is therefore still in decent fighting shape. He has sandy brown hair and large expressive chestnut eyes. His looks are average, but he cuts an arresting figure due to the strange armor he wears, a suit of black leathers made out of unidentifiable, weird and rubbery hide. In game terms, Norm is a fourth level halfling. He has... 16 hit points. The armor he wears is made from the skin of a giant frog, and is enchanted to bestow a plus one to his armor class. He prefers to avoid combat, but carries a pair of bone-handled daggers that he can throw with deadly accuracy if the need arises. Between his natural bonus as a Heflin and his dexterity bonus, Norm gets a plus two on all to hit rolls with ranged weapons. Heflins are also quick, getting an initiative bonus, and agile. Large creatures have a hard time hitting them. Finally, Heflins are very hard to spot when they make an effort to hide, especially outdoors. They have only a 10% chance of being detected when hiding in natural cover. 
Unfortunately, this benefit will not extend to any non-Heflins traveling in the same group, and so the route Norm used on the way to Thangar might not be the wisest choice on the return trip. Chapter 39, Part 2, Day 49, Morning, Party Status. The party status is unchanged. The tearful goodbye that should have taken place when Umura and the others said their goodbyes yesterday was replaced by a tearful reunion when she caught up with them. Now it was morning. Gyrios, having concluded his prayers, watched the others as they roused from slumber. The cleric absently touched his face as he observed Umura, who stretched and knuckled sleep from her eyes. He recalled when, not two months before, this woman had attacked him, scratched him, here, beside his nose. They had been fighting a pair of goblins and a wizard in an underground passage. As Gyrios thought further, he realized that they had been fighting alongside each other ever since. He was glad to have her back. Given the faces of his companions when she had returned, they all were. Within a few minutes, they had gathered their things and taken to the road. They broke their fast with some dried rations as they walked. Everyone felt the sense of urgency driving them forward. Every hour counted. Gyrios patted his pocket, which held the Mithridaticum elixir. He hoped they would be in time. Have you thought it over? Asked Norum, looking at Harl and then at the others. Have you considered everything I told you? The previous night, while sipping from a small silver flask, the Heflin had explained why the shorter route to Knobs Creek might not be their wisest choice. The quicker way required traversing Sour Tongue's Bog, a nasty place in its own right, foul-smelling and hazardous to any who did not know the correct path through it. Norum did know the correct path, but that was not his main concern. It was Sour Tongue herself he worried about. On my own, she's easy enough to avoid, he explains. She relies on her eyes more than her other senses, and Heflins are very good at hiding, but with you lot tromping about the place, she'll spot us a mile away. Could you tell us about this sour tongue one more time? asked Gyrios. He was frightened to hear the description again, if he were being honest, but he preferred to know the dangers ahead rather than blunder into them blindly. Norum sighed. Well, she's tall, over eight feet, I'm sure, as she's big even for her kind. Skin the color of the swamp. Claws. Norum held up his hands, curling his fingers as he spoke. By Grunmog, said Harl, cutting off the description. They had just crested a scree-covered rise where the road began to curve. It had not been visible before now. Perhaps 200 miles to the east was the biggest thing any of them had ever seen. It was the cloud spur, and sitting atop it like a crown was the Agujin, the summit, the highest point on the face of Merith. It towered over 32,000 feet dwarfing everything around it. Harl had seen it before many times from Dwervar, but from there the cloud spur was barely more than a speck on the horizon. He had never really seen it. Not like this. It was not visible from Thangar since the citadel was built into the western face of the Arlegwar and looked out across the Kazmirioth in the direction of Dwervar. It is magnificent. They spared a few precious moments to look on in wonder before Harl decided they needed to move on. The road led down, and soon the Aquagen was once again lost from sight. Back to what we were talking about, said Gyrios after a time. Last night you said this Sour Tongue's claws were about mm, this long? 
He spaced his index finger and thumb an inch apart. Norm, smiling up at him grimly, held up his own thumb and finger, showing a gap twice as big. And they are hard to kill? asked Umura. Very hard to kill, confirmed Norm. But they can be killed, Umura wanted to be sure. Norm nodded. And so, how exactly does one kill a troll? Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you've enjoyed the show and you'd like to lend your support, there are many ways to do so. By far the best way is to leave a rating or review on Apple or iTunes or some other podcatcher of your choice. But there's other ways. You can retweet episode release announcements, or just mention the show on social media, or just tell a friend. Everything is very much appreciated. For show notes, random thoughts, maps, character sheets, and a whole bunch of other stuff, please check out taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. I'm active on social media, so you can always find me there too. On Instagram, I'm at Tale of the Manticore Podcast, and on Twitter, at Manticore Tale. If you'd like to get in touch by email, that's okay too. Write to me at taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. I reply to everyone who writes in. The adventure will continue next time on Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Are you looking for a D&D campaign where character and story take a front seat? Where the world is vibrant and filled with life? And Casting Roles is the D&D campaign for you. Join us, a bunch of theater nerds, as we gather together each week to have some fun and play a game that we are passionate about and want to share with you. You can find us on Twitch at casting underscore roles, and you can catch up with Season 1 on our YouTube channel. So join us, and we can't wait to see you for Season 2. In part one of this chapter, I mentioned that I would reveal the result of the D6 roll that I made to determine how many days Valiador Glimmerax had left to live before the poison claims his life. To keep things simple, this ticking clock will begin on the next day, day 49. I also mentioned that there was no risk of hearing it by accident, so here is fair warning. Turn this off now if you do not want to know what the PCs do not know. The party has chosen a dangerous route that will get them to the Ailing Dwarf with the universal antidote, the Mithridaticum Elixir, in just three days. The number I rolled, and the number of days Validor has left to live, is two. No matter what the party had chosen, they have no chance of arriving in time. <laughs>